Welcome to Star Techies, my way to the world of technology. I'm Kristen and I'm the communications manager in Anisha. So what is Star Techies all about? These talks are designed to provide an insight into the multitude of career paths available in the tech sector. Today we're joined by Charlene Sequeira. Charlene studied for a Master's of Science in Embedded Systems and a Bachelor of Engineering. During her studies, Charlene was also one of Anisha's super popular mentors. She is now a product owner at Cybercom. Now, looking through her study and career history, there's a few words that caught my attention, and today she's going to explain what they mean. Uh, Scrum Master, Cybercom, what is it? Um, embedded Systems and Product Owner. So let's hear all about Charlene's study background and her career and find out what these words mean as well. So warm welcome to Charlene. Hi. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. It's, it's, I mean, it's lovely to be here, and it's so nice to be sort of back uh, helping out at Inicio again. Mm-hmm. Studying engineering, and you were, when we were talking earlier today, you said that your parents have a completely different background, economics and yep. chemistry, but you and your sister both studied engineering. Yeah. So why did you get into this field? What, what inspired you? So um, let's go sort of way, way, way back. Um, when I was in, in high school, so the way the, the education system works uh, in India, where I come from, uh, is we have 10 years of school, and then we have two years of the secondary school which sort of translates to the nine years of, of school here and the three years of gymnasia. Uh, and before you sort of make the decision into which um, gymnasia or which sort of field you want to major in, uh, we have a 10th grade exam that you need to, to sort of answer and, and then choose where to go to. Uh, for me, since I'm one of those people that really likes planning my life, <laughs> uh, I sort of started uh, looking um, at options when I was in, in the eighth grade, ninth grade, because I really liked math uh, when I was uh, back in school. And I wanted to continue uh, for two more years learning some more math. Uh, and for that, that meant that I would move into uh, a science track um, where we would then focus on a lot of math, physics, chemistry. Uh, biology or geography. Um, now, while I was doing that, I was uh, also trying to um, evaluate what um, I would want to continue with after I finished my uh, gymnasium or 12th grade. Uh, and uh, then I, I sort of was dabbling between engineering, um, medicine or, um, or math. Uh, and that was when I was still in the eighth grade. Uh, Simultaneously, while at home, I would uh, always help out with uh, any electrical stuff that needed fixing. Uh, for, uh, for example, um, we always have Christmas lights that I'm pretty sure you all have the same issue. When one of the bulbs goes out, it's like, oh, my God, it's a pain. We need to fix it. Uh, and, and I would make my own sort of series of lights. Um, and then I, I learned a bit more about what it is like to, to connect um, bulbs uh, in, in a series connection and in a parallel connection. What would happen if one of the bulbs was not working? So I, I went more into the, the basic physics in a more practical sense when it came to, to this kind of, uh, of an application. And I realized along the way that I was very intrigued by this and wanted to, to know more about it in a more um, holistic view on how this would work on other uh, electronic devices. Uh, and that sort of pushed me into wanting to focus on, on more of an engineering field. So then when I went into the 11th and 12th grade, I decided that I was going to do uh, only math, chemistry and physics. And instead of biology, I would uh, just pick geography because that was an easier alternative for me. And then I would spend 
the time that I had focusing on on the sort of three main subjects that I needed to get into engineering school after that. So that was the that was sort of my thought process on why I wanted to do uh, engineering. And then when it came to, um, I guess, deciding what engineering field I wanted to focus on, uh, the school that I was looking at had um, four major fields. So mechanical engineering, computer engineering, uh, information technology, and electronics and telecommunication. Uh, and I looked through the, the sort of syllabus and the, the curriculum to find out what they were teaching. And I just really liked uh, stuff that was in the electronics and telecommunication program. So that's where I ended up for my bachelor's. And what exactly did you do in the program? Uh, so during the, the bachelor's program, the first year is, is sort of a common base year for all, uh, all four uh, different uh, streams. Uh, but then when you sort of finish the first year and you move more along into the second, third and fourth year, we learned uh, a lot about signal processing, um, uh, about digital electronics, um, about uh, image processing, uh, uh, ASICs and FPGAs, uh, microprocessors and uh, uh, sort of uh, peripheral devices. And that is what got me interested into embedded systems where I ended up four years later. <laughs> Or yeah, after I finished my bachelor's. So yeah, so that's a, I mean the whole sort of bachelor um, degree was was a um, build up to what I eventually ended up or to what I eventually ended up doing right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the bachelor's program, then did you have an eye on doing a master's degree in the future, or are you trying to sort out what you wanted to do? Um, so it's very typical in, uh, in Goa and in India that when you are in a bachelor's program, um, when you're sort of on, during your last year, because we have a four-year bachelor program. So in your last year, uh, we have a, a special team of um, professors and uh, employer engagement team that sort of gets in companies to come on campus and uh, have interviews and uh, hire students right out. So I was a bit confused between the two. Uh, and um, I mean, to be honest, I did uh, end up with two job offers after I finished my bachelor's. Uh, I eventually ended up turning them down because I realized that uh, I did want to continue studying and I sort of weighed the, the pros and cons and, and did a, a mental list. And, and according to my um, personal priorities, it just made more sense to, to study some more. And uh, yeah, KDH was a really good school. And, so it was a very nice experience to move to a, a completely different culture, a completely different country, um, a different uh, university, lots of um, different diverse backgrounds that, that met up at the same place to study the same subject. It, I really loved it. So that was what I sort of had on the top of my uh, pros list for, for this experience. And that's why I chose to, to continue studying. Mm -hmm. And why Katie Hage? What was the, the drill card here? Um, well, to be honest, I was looking at schools uh, all over the world um, and everyone has this sort of American dream that they want to go to the US. Uh, but when I was looking at schools uh, in the US, they didn't have a master's in embedded systems. And I was very picky with what I wanted to study. Uh, they had a master's in electrical engineering and then I could choose to specialize in embedded systems, but my background was not electrical engineering. The slight difference between electronics and electrical is that when you're talking about electrical engineering, you talk a bit more about um, power transmission, uh, transform the, the transformers, the uh, power cables, whereas electronics is more about uh, 
printed circuit boards, your different ICs, system on chips, and, and the small things that go inside your computers and that kind of things. So I didn't want to sort of change my whole um, four years that I spent studying electronics and telecommunication to end up doing a master's in electrical engineering, where I didn't really have that much of a background. Uh, so then I switched focus and started looking at Europe, and I found uh, KDH. Uh, I found a couple of schools in, in Holland, um, a couple of schools in uh, Brussels uh, that all had uh, masters in embedded systems. And I didn't have to do a master's in anything else and then specialize in embedded systems, which is what I really wanted to do. Uh, and then I looked through the, the program, um, sort of uh, trying to check out what I wanted to do after I finished studying as well. What kind of area would I want to work in? And She's that, as we know, is the Silicon Valley of the Nordics. It just made complete sense for me to, to move to KDH and to choose to, to Stockholm. So yeah, that's, that's why I chose Stockholm. And just so I'm clear, what exactly is embedded systems? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to try this to the best of my abilities and try and explain this to everyone. Uh, I, I will try and, and give you an example as well. And um, so an embedded system is essentially a, a computer system that has a, a microprocessor uh, and uh, input-output peripheral devices. So I know that makes no sense. So <laughs> I'm going to try with, with an example. So you see a phone here, no product placement, by the way, but you see, <laughs> you see the phone here. The, the phone in itself is not, uh, not an embedded system, but if you look at the camera, so that is, is sort of a, an input device to my phone where I can click a picture using the camera. Uh, the, the chips inside the phone that do the image processing is the, the microprocessor. We have memory on the phone that stores the, the, the picture. And then you have your screen, which is sort of the output device for you to see. So the camera part of your phone is an embedded system in itself. And your whole phone is then made up of a bunch of different embedded systems that make up the phone. So that is, is essentially what uh, embedded systems is. That, does that make uh, some sense? Yes. Okay, perfect. Finally. Perfect. I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to explain what embedded systems is for years <laughs> to no avail. So I'm very happy that that makes sense. And obviously this is an area where there's a lot of job growth as well. Yes, there is. There is. I mean, totally. And uh, I mean, when, when I started my, uh, my master's, there was the whole internet of things uh, boom where it was uh, it was like the best thing to go to i mean still is but it we we have a lot of um artificial intelligence that has now taken over the internet of things uh, burst but yes i mean with with the internet of things uh, out uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of job opportunity and a lot of growth within embedded systems uh me for instance i work in um, as a as a consultant for a telecom company where we do a lot of uh, 5G development. Uh, and that ties into the whole internet of things in terms of the, the facilitator for connecting different devices and sharing data between different devices. So there is a lot that one can do uh, in embedded systems. Yeah. And what exactly do you do in your job now at Cybercom? So right now at, uh, at Cybercom, I work as a, a product owner towards my client. Uh, what that essentially means is uh, I have uh, a couple of teams that work together with me and me as a product owner, I'm responsible to maximize the value of the, the code and the product that my teams deliver. 
uh, at the same time, I am responsible for all the work that they do. So say for instance, uh, we want them to build a car. Uh, then me as the product owner of that car would have to break it down into uh, different iterations that the team could then work on. And then I would prioritize based on the requirements that I get from my stakeholders. So from my end client, what, what do they want out first? And then I prioritize the items that they work with so that my teams work with. Uh, and then my team then picks up uh, an item during uh, a, a sprint, which is basically three, long, three weeks long. Uh, and during those three weeks, they work on this one item. At the end of it, we have a deliverable that's out that can go to a client. So we then sort of work um, in, uh, in sprints or every three weeks, uh, picking up new items from the backlog that I have set out for the team. Uh, and then at the end, hopefully we will have a car that is ready to be shipped out to the customer. So that's, uh, that's essentially what I do. I, I, uh, I manage all the work that uh, that the teams or that my teams work with, uh, and uh, also prioritize what uh, what they do, and make sure that uh, they um, are not uh, disturbed by a lot of other people asking them to to work on items because the other people need to go through me to get my teams to do work for them. So yeah, that's that's essentially what a product owner is. And now you're working with teams from all over the world as well, Vietnam, other countries. Yes, so um, my, I, I have uh, two teams that are based in Chista. Uh, those teams are all multinational and uh, cross-functional teams. Uh, and uh, why I say cross-functional is because all of them are engineers, but they have uh, different tech backgrounds. So we have some that are like me from Embedded Systems. We have some that are from Mechatronics. Uh, another very good program to look into if you're looking at uh, KDH. They have a really good mechatronics program. Uh, we have some that are from, from biomedic. Sorry. Sorry, what is mechatronics? Uh, so mechatronics is, um, I might be completely off here. But <laughs> so don't, don't listen to me word for word. But mechatronics is basically a, a uh, is embedded systems plus uh, looking more at the mechanical side of uh, electronics. So you learn about mo motors, you learn about uh, a little bit about uh, machine learning, you learn about uh, actuators and um, more of the, the uh, hardware parts of uh, a robot. That's essentially what you will learn in mechatronics. So you do a lot more hardware and uh, a lot less software, I would say, compared to embedded, where you do a lot more software compared to hardware. So that, that's mechatronics, but they're very, very closely related. They're sort of like sister programs. So yeah, so we have a lot of mechatronics engineers. Uh, we have some that work uh, or studied biomedical. Uh, we have some that did IT, some that did computer programming, computer engineering. So we have people from, from sort of different disciplines within the engineering field that work together. And that's why we call them cross-functional teams, because at the end, they, they sort of support each other and um, help each other to be one formidable unit, whereas individually, they might not have all the competence they need. But as a team, they have everything they need to succeed. So I work with a lot of teams uh, that are uh, based in, in Stockholm in Shista, but I also have uh, a team that is uh, co-located where half of the team is based in uh, in Stockholm, half, half is based in Vietnam. But at the same time, I work with a lot of teams that are based uh, out of China in Beijing and in Nanjing, and some in Ottawa and Canada, and some in Croatia and Poland. So I work with people from all over the world. And it, it's so much fun. It's the best part of my day. So yeah. It sounds very exciting. I mean, 
what is the most exciting part of your job? Um, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> so I would say um, the most exciting part for me is uh, at the end of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we work in sprints of three weeks. Uh, and so at the end of, of three weeks, um, I have a group of other product owners and I that work uh, together and uh, all of our teams gather for a, a demo session. Uh, where we sort of look through what the teams have worked on on the past three weeks. And uh, I mean, a lot of the times we don't have concrete demos to show, but uh, sometimes, uh, or more often than not, we have something that the teams can actually demo and show that, okay, this is something that we have been worked on and this is how it works. And then you actually get to see how the code that they have developed works. And and I I mean, for me, that's the, the best part of uh, of being a product owner is that you actually get to see what uh, uh, your team has developed, what they have worked on after you have, you know, prioritized this. And you can then look at what is already done and then maybe get some sort of um, retrospective on, on sort of thinking what actually needs to be added next to maximize the value for the, uh, maximize the value of the product for the client. So that, that, I mean, I really love doing that. So that's the, yeah, that's the best part of my job, I would say. And how long have you been with the uh, CyberCom for? Um, I've noticed that you've gone through different levels. You've worked your way yeah. up. Yes, I've been at CyberCom um, for three and a half years now, if you don't include my, my thesis. So I did my master thesis at CyberCom. So if we include that, it's uh, four and a half years. Um, so I started out... Um, at Cybercom as a thesis worker back in 2017. And I met them at uh, Armada, which is a, a thesis fair that the KDH hosts every year. Um, yeah, and, and after that, uh, I, I just went to, to an interview that was um, that, that they set up and we discussed the, the project that, uh, that I wanna work on and uh, how um, they were very uh, adaptable to, to suggestions on their product, uh, project proposal. So I adapted it to to what I wanted to do. And, and we continue using that now uh, as well, because I work a lot with, uh, with students since I'm one of the, the, the recruiting managers at Cybercom that actually hire students to write their thesis with us. And we always tell students that we want you to um, have the driving seat to choosing what you want to do on your thesis, because we think it's very important that uh, since you're gonna spend six months working on this project, that you actually like what you're doing because it ends with you writing a report. And if you don't like what you're doing, the report ain't gonna be good. So, so yeah, so that, that's why we recommend that. And, and I really liked that, uh, that I had that flexibility and that freedom. And so that's what made me want to, to start at, at Cybercom as a thesis worker. And I stayed because the people there are, I mean, they're, they're the best colleagues I could have. They're really easy to work with. It's a very calm and, uh, open and warm atmosphere and we're very um, culturally diverse and, and I think that that's probably going to be like a recurring theme because for me that's that's one of the most important uh, things because I, I feel that I learn a lot from uh, from a culturally diverse environment and yeah I really I really like uh, the fact that we have people from all around the world and with different uh, tech backgrounds that and some that don't even have tech backgrounds that work at that cybercom so yeah. So you would say for students that are perhaps watching this and thinking about doing a thesis in the future, mm -hmm. to choose a company that you're passionate about and also write your thesis on an issue that you're passionate about. Yes, definitely. I 100% agree with that. And I mean, always uh, just a, a suggestion for when you are looking for your thesis, always look at, at the company's website. 
because it also helps that you know what the the company does or I mean not completely does but what they stand for and what are their values because then when you do go in for for an interview it, it just gives out a good impression that you know you've actually done your homework and the reason why you bring it up is because it matters to you as well so yeah I would recommend that mm-hmm. seems like you always had your head you always knew what you wanted to do yeah like, but, but yeah subjects you really had a, a focus yeah that's, yes that's quite interesting but I mean I guess that that, that helps a, a lot but I, I like planning a lot so that that just worked in my favor I know a lot of people don't like doing that and, and I've been told by by lots of others is uh, life is what happens when you make too many plans because <laughs> you're you're always busy making plans and missing out on life so I guess you need to find the the good balance between how much of your life you want to plan and how much of it you just want to wing it and you know have fun so I plan a lot I mean my professional life I like planning but when it comes to my personal life I'm just like I'll just wing it so I have I think I have a balance but we, we, only time will tell <laughs> But would you say that's one of the key attributes for your job? Like you have to be a good planner. Say now as as a product owner, yes, you need to be a very good planner because I also uh, need to plan out uh, what uh, the team will take in. So once they finish uh, developing the car that we talked about before, then they they would be sitting idle. So I need to plan what they will take in and I need to have a, I need to do a time plan for when they will finish and when they will be available to start the next project. So in my current role, I need to do lots of planning. It's it's sort of an assistant role to a project manager where I don't do the official project management, but I do a lot of resource management uh, in my job. And yeah, so as as a product owner, yes, you do need to be a very good planner and you do need to, I mean, if you're not a good planner, you need to learn how to be one, but you need to do a lot of planning in my, in my current role. Yes. But when I started out as a developer, um, after, uh, after school, you don't need to be a good planner for that. You just need to be someone that is willing to learn and someone that is willing to, to ask questions and be curious and just know more and try and, possibly fail but then pick up the pieces and continue moving on and uh, and and work through it and when we have I mean for me in my experience when I started out I started out in a team uh, and uh, I think I, yeah I was the youngest when I started out and the oldest on my team was uh, 60 or 59 and now he's uh, 62 or 63 uh, and uh, we I mean we had this whole very nice um, safety net where you, even though you delivered stuff and you probably maybe broke something uh, and uh, you had people call you and say like, oh no, what what did you do? You need to fix this soon. Uh, The team helped you out. So it was not you that took sole responsibility for things that you gave out, but it was the team. So you succeed as a team and you fail as a team. And that helped a lot. And and we do that for every new a student that uh, graduates that starts working with us we put you in one of the teams so that you sort of build up this confidence to a certain level that you you feel that okay now I can do things and tasks by myself so at that stage you don't need to be a really good planner you can you can just uh, wing that part and follow the rest of the team and and the scrum master and and move on uh, it's, it's when you start uh, working as a scrum master and then moving on as a product owner or project manager then you do need to do a bit of planning Mm-hmm. I think that's been a key theme in these Star Techies talks that you don't need to know everything straight away because I think yep. people are very fearful that they might not have enough knowledge or yep. maybe they're not even ready to study at university level but you learn as you go you yep. fail you pick yourself up and you keep going 
No, that's true. That's true. And I mean, I work uh, in the telecom field, but my only um, background in telecom was when I did my bachelor's degree. uh, And I did probably five courses in telecom. uh, And then I moved and I was expected to work in telecom, which I mean, I had you know, I knew the terms, I knew what things were, I knew, in general, what would happen, but I didn't know what I would, what would happen had I to change things. And and then you just sort of learn as you go. And you just need to be to be willing to, to take that step and, you know, say that, okay, yes, this is, this is something that I want to try, this is going to be fun, I'm going to learn as I go. And, you know, if I don't like it, I will try something else. But don't, don't look at the sort of thing as, what if? Because you, you never want to, to end up uh, years gone by and thinking, oh, what if I had done this? Then what would my life be like? So I would recommend to anyone that is questioning whether they want to do university or not to go and give it a try. I mean, you don't want to end up, you know, 50 years later and think, what if? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what maybe you could share some of the challenges that you've overcome. Maybe that will inspire other people. It's, it's always good to learn from others' mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what I would say, I guess, when I, um, when I was, uh, studying, um, is that I, I, the first year that I joined KDH is, I think I put a lot of focus on, um, studying a bit too much. Uh, not that I got the best grades because of that. It's just that because I moved to a, a completely new country and I, I, I mean, I was living with a lot of uh, people from all over. So I had a lot of friends, but at the same time, I needed to find a good balance because I moved from a very sort of secure environment of living at home to moving to a completely new country and doing or having to do things by myself for myself. Uh, And it was, I guess, in the beginning, a bit hard to to find that balance. Um, So in this case, I guess it it will be a bit different for for all the students that are on the the top now because they are all based here in Sweden and they would have a lot of less uh, when it comes to, to transitioning out from doing things for yourself without uh, any assistance from, from your parents. Um, so I would say that, um, yeah, that was, that was one thing that I could have done differently. And what I would recommend that, that students do is to, you know, just, I don't know, just, just do it. I mean, uh, you don't, don't prioritize your, your studies too much. Uh, there's always a, a good balance that, that one needs to, uh, to get to. And I guess that all depends on, on your priorities and your personal priorities at the end. For me, it was not uh, getting the best grades, but it was more about learning the concepts and understanding how that would then affect my career, how my uh, course choices would affect my career, what electives I should choose to end up where I want to end up. Uh, and that, that's where I spent a lot of my time, um, which then, yeah, transit or translated into where I am now, because I then end up, ended up taking a lot of courses that could help me get to, to where I wanted to be and, and get to um, um, a position to choose uh, the thesis, the master thesis that I wanted to write, because that, that also depends on, on the, the, the courses that you have done. Because I mean, say for instance, uh, uh, we have a lot of students now um, talking from experience that that are studying uh, uh, embedded systems, but they want to write their thesis on machine learning. And then it's a lot difficult to um, to give them that topic because they don't have a complete uh, background in, in machine learning compared to someone that has a math background or that is studying machine learning. 
that could be more qualified. So I would say um, as general advice to, to everyone is to sort of go through your um, curriculum uh, at, uh, at the gymnasium that you are thinking of applying to and sort of see how that translates to your eventual final goal of where you would like to end up and, and then choose from there. Um, yeah, I started doing that only when I was in my first year of my master's, which probably wasn't the best um, because yeah, then, then you have to, to prior or, or do a lot of things at the same time. Uh, and, and if you do it before, then you, you, sort, of, you sort of end up uh, with one less thing on your checklist to do. Uh, so that's something that I would do, uh, to, that I would do differently. Uh, when it comes to, I guess, my, um, my bachelor's degree, um, I don't think I would do anything differently in terms of me choosing my my bachelor's, um, I think maybe when I was in, in my 11th and 12th grade, I would have uh, taken biology because uh, I, I know nothing about, <laughs> about biology. I mean, seriously, I know nothing. Uh, I, I only have like high school level biology uh, information and it would, it, it's just something nice to know. So I, I maybe looking back, that was something that I probably would have done, but uh, I don't think that it would have affected uh, my choice on uh, on where or what I ended up doing and what I do now. Uh, when it comes to my career, if there's something different or a mistake that I, oh, I'm trying to think. Um, I can't think of a, a concrete example right now, uh, but um, let's see. No, I can't think of a concrete example when it comes to, to my, my career, what would I do differently? Because I, I, I really liked my sort of journey. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just, it's just human psychology now that is sort of blocking out all the mistakes that I've done. And I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't think of anything that I, I would do differently when it comes to, to my working life. Because I and that, again, I guess it's, uh, again, different for, for different companies. But in, in Cybercon, we have this very open culture that if you, you are stuck somewhere, you can always ask for help and uh, always um, sort of pick everyone else's brains to find out what, what they have done had they been in your situation. So I've always made use of that to, to get as much information as I could from everyone around me. Uh, and that sort of helped me navigate tough roads. But I, I don't think I would change anything about that. Mm. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're very happy where you are at the moment. I am. We touched upon it previously when we're talking about finding a thesis placement, but yeah. how did you choose where you went for your thesis? Is there any tips you'd give other students? Yeah. So what I would, uh, what I would say um, when it comes to, to finding a thesis or in general, when it comes to, to company contact, uh, is to try and join um, any event that is possible uh, that a company hosts. Um, it's a bit difficult these days with COVID because I don't think a lot of companies are hosting that many online events. Uh, but uh, if you see any, uh, join those. Um, when there are face-to-face -face events, uh, that's even better. I do recommend going to a company uh, and just networking with, uh, with the employees there because that's why we have those events is for us to network with you as well. Uh, so I would uh, recommend that as a um, first step on, uh, to connect with a company. Uh, and uh, then I would just say, just apply, like keep applying to uh, all the companies that you think uh, after reading uh, through their website that you think you would uh, like to work with them and get to know them more. 
because that's what the the interview uh, stage is for to for you to get to know the company and for the company to sort of get to know you and and you can then both evaluate whether you think you would be a good fit to to work together and and um, proceed forward so that that's what what I would say and don't be afraid to ask questions so if you are at a at a, a fair thesis fair or a uh, job fair or a school fair don't be afraid to ask anyone question because because uh, no question is a stupid question and uh okay maybe some questions are stupid questions <laughs> <laughs> but i mean this, the stupid questions would then be uh, things that's easily available on, on the website of, of the company or the the school and uh, no one will actually say that it's a stupid question. They will be happy. I will be happy if you ask me any question about Cybercom to tell you about what we do, uh, even though it is available on, on our website. But what I would then say is to sort of, when it's an online fair, there's always limited time. So to make the best use of this time, read up about the company before, and then try to think of what would you want to know that would help you with your decision to choose whether you want to work at this company or not. And that is how you end up making the the best use of your time and the first time, as well as making a good impression uh, to whoever is um, on the other end of the call. Uh, So that's the the tip that that I would give you. And don't be afraid if you have your own ideas for your thesis project or for um, your um, bachelor project or LEA project or whatever. Don't be afraid to to come up with your own ideas because companies are always looking for for new innovative ideas to work with. Now, uh, gender. (laughs) I question, as a woman in the tech sector, Mm -hmm. is there quite a a lot of women now? Is it it changing the dynamic? Um, Okay, so that's a rather tough question to answer because um, I know that there are, and there are lots of movements and lots of, um, you know, awareness initiatives that are going on around to increase the gender balance. Um, the problem I see from, from a recruiting point of view, because I, I sign a lot of candidates to join us, is uh, that uh, we don't find a lot of women applicants. So I don't know why there are not that many um, women moving into the tech industry. Because uh, we're, I mean, in, in Goa, when, when I was doing my bachelor's, we had a 55-45 uh, split with 55% being women in my class and 45% being men. Uh, and then when I moved to Sweden, it was slightly different because there were some classes that had a lot more women. But then there was another class where we were about 100 of us and only four women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. But when it comes to, to the workplace, uh, I mean, we um, at Cybercom, we are um, trying as much as possible to get in more, more women. Uh, for instance, when it comes to, to thesis workers, uh, last year we had uh, one woman uh, write her thesis with us. This year we have three that I've signed. So we, we are trying uh, as much as possible to, to increase the the, the number of uh, women. We do have one thing that we try and do with all of our teams is that we have at least uh, a minimum one woman in each team that, that works there. So that we're, we're then trying to, to sort of build up the number of women per team. Uh, and we have um, a lot of partnerships with, uh, with Women in Tech, the, the organization that does a yearly conference every um, 8th of March. Uh, and we have our own sort of uh, women in, in tech um, or women networking groups within the company where we meet up uh, every month or so um, and um, discuss um, what kind of skills we would like to build. We, we hold workshops, we hold seminars to, 
uh, talk about the gender bias or um, are they, you know, um, unconscious, uh, unconscious bias against women and talk about traits uh, and, and things that people might do without realizing that are um, sort of, uh, you know, against women. But I mean, it's, it's a constant struggle for everyone in the tech industry to, uh, to get in more, more women in tech, uh, which I think not only Cybercom, but all, all the companies in tech are, are trying as much as possible to um, increase the curve. And so if there's women watching this at the moment thinking, oh, is tech tech for me? Maybe it's not. Maybe they have that stereotype of it being a male-dominated area only. What mm-hmm. would you say to them? Uh, I would say forget what you were thinking. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't think of a better industry to, to work in because uh, uh, apart from, you know, the gender situation, uh, I don't see anything else that, that is wrong with, uh, with tech. It's one of the most... Um, fastest growing industry every year there's something new out there every year technology advances and who wouldn't want to be part of that industry uh so i would just say you know um don't don't have the the thoughts that oh no is is tech for me because it's it's mostly a male-dominated industry uh we can change that if all of you lovely women out there want to to do tech and then do join us then we increase the number of women in tech so uh, not, not, not too much pressure on you that our future depends on you, but, but I would say, I would say don't, don't hesitate to, um, to think about uh, a possible future in tech. And if you do want to, uh, you know, get in touch with me and ask me more sort of personally related questions to yourself and your situation, feel free to do that. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Exactly. I think we really need to push that. Like tech mm-hmm. is the future. That is where the job growth is so it's something that you need to jump on board now completely agree completely agree because I mean with uh, with sort of the um, advancement not I don't want to scare anyone here but but with the but with the advancement of artificial intelligence and uh, you know the the different applications of artificial intelligence tech is going to take a completely different role moving forward and um, all other jobs are going to be affected with how tech um, progresses uh, whereas the tech jobs will then be uh, or will then or will continue to be a lot more stable compared to to other jobs. So I would really recommend considering or highly considering a career in tech. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been talking for a while now. Time's gone by really quickly. We should go to some of the audience questions and then we can come back and have a chat depending on how many questions we have. So sure. let's start... Um, Here's some of the questions from our viewers. Isn't it scary having that much responsibility by being a product owner? Um, I would say yes, Maria, at, at the start, because uh, I started out as a product owner in um, July. Uh, and uh, it was quite scary in July. Um, when I mean, not in July, because it was summer and everyone was away. Uh, but, but after summer, it in August when everyone sort of started coming back from summer and there was a lot more more pressure to to get things done and to get your teams to get things done uh it was a lot of uh, responsibility and and it was a bit scary but uh I I would just say to you know dare to dream and push yourself to to actually achieve what you know you are capable of and and not let uh, uh, your scary inner thoughts um 
cloud your judgments that you you can't do things so it, it is scary but it's also very rewarding when you get uh, when you get stuff out and you see the difference that you are making uh, at the company and and the, the general environment uh, and, and the world later so yeah it's, it's very rewarding mm -hmm. right. Right. Uh, how do you work with people from all over the world uh, okay, so um, let's talk about my teams here in Chista. Uh, we have people, um, so one team, uh, or each of the teams is made up of nine people each. Uh, and uh, among those nine people, we have people from Sweden, from Finland, from uh, um, Iran, from Pakistan, from India, from uh, Brazil, from Egypt from uh, Turkey. So our teams in, in Chista are with, with people that have moved from all over the world to Sweden. But then at the same time, I also have teams that are based in different locations. So we always communicate uh, on uh, online. So we have uh, Skype or Teams um, and uh, or Zoom uh, that we schedule a lot of meetings uh, through and always meet up with them. It, it does take a bit of, um, I wouldn't say practice, but uh, a bit of scheduling effort because everyone's on a different time zone. So sometimes uh, I have meetings at 7.30 in the morning uh, just to uh, communicate with the people from, from Asia. And sometimes I have meetings at six o'clock in the evening to communicate with the people in, in the Americas. So um, it all depends on, on where the people are, but we have a lot of uh, tools at our, our disposal, I would say, to, to then just schedule these meetings and, and meet up with them uh, all over the world and then you just you know share your screen and uh, and show them stuff and and then we do a lot of presentations and do reviews of each other's reports and and share uh, general information so that's that's a lot of uh, of my collaboration mm -hmm. it's amazing how easy it is to work with people from all over the world now <laughs> <laughs> i agree <laughs> did you have perfect grades when studying and did cybercom care about your grades when you started um, so, um, okay, let's take this in, in parts, I guess. So, um, I would say back when I was in, in high school, uh, yes. And then through my undergrad, yes. But then when I moved to my master's, uh, I realized that there is a lot more to, uh, to life than having perfect grades. Uh, so I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself to get all A's or all B's. Um, what I would say is, um, not to neglect them. Uh, when I started working at Cybercom, no, uh, they didn't care about the grades and that's with most companies once you uh, finish uh, studying. Uh, the grades are more of a uh, sanity check to just check that you know your stuff and you're not bluffing anyone. Uh, what companies or what we, um, or me as a hiring manager, what I care about uh, and what Cybercom also cares about a lot is to see what kind of a person you are and whether you will get along with all the members in your team. We do, of course, have uh, tests that you would need to do. So that would test your, your technical abilities. So that's why we don't look at uh, or don't weigh your grades so much because we have our own tests that we want you to answer. But we, we also put a lot more emphasis on you as a person and what kind of a person you are and how would it be like to work together with you very closely. So I wouldn't say that grades are a very um, significant portion of your um, application to start working anywhere. So yeah. Do you feel like you learned everything you needed for your job at university? 
that's a good question. Uh, no, because <laughs> uh, I and that's only because I, I would say that the, that you can you can never um, stop learning. I mean, uh, so what what the university gives you, I would say, is a um, a foundation of what you would need for um, for your future. So in, uh, let's talk about my case. When I did my electronics and telecom, I had no idea that I would ever use uh, the telecom knowledge that I learned there ever in my life. No idea. And then I ended up working in the telecom sector. Uh, so I wouldn't say that, that everything I learned at university was to waste or was not worth it, because it was. Um, I would, however, also say that uh, you do learn a lot more um, once you start working in the industry, because it, the the industry is very different from, from school. Um, in, in school, you learn a lot about uh, the theory, you understand the concepts, you know how things work, you do small um, projects in controlled environments, whereas when you move to, to the industry, things are a lot, a lot um, different. They're on a much sort of larger scale and, um, yeah, it's just two completely different uh, environments. So I wouldn't discredit anything that I learned at the university. I really appreciate everything I learned. And it was a really good base and foundation for when I just started out in school, because then I, I could look back and think of, oh, I learned this and this is where and how I can apply it. And I sort of connect the dots to what I learned, what I did in a controlled project to a real life scenario. And then you also grow as you move forward in your career. You learn a lot of things while doing. So yeah, I hope that uh, answered the question a bit. Definitely, I think so. <laughs> right, do we have any more questions? Uh, what kind of products are you working on at the moment? Ooh, um, I don't think I can say because <laughs> we, we, uh, we have something called a non-disclosure agreement that I have signed. So I can't really give you um, details on what uh, I am working on, but uh, I, can, I can put it in a very fluffy sense. Uh, I, I learned how to use that word in sentences here because everyone uses the word fluffy. They do, right? Fluffy. <laughs> so, <yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> so, so in a very uh, fluffy context, uh, I, I am working on um, some um, features, uh, so software products that are to be implemented on uh, um, radios uh, that go out to different telecom operators to help them um, give you the best service you get on your mobile phones. So that's that's uh, what I can say without getting into uh, too much details. And some of them, uh, some of the features that we are working on are uh, very good for, for the environment in terms of uh, uh, a bit of the effects on, on climate change and uh, on the, the entire you know, sustainability agenda. So that's something that we are targeting right now with the, the software products that we're delivering. If I like to pursue my career within the area of embedded systems, any suggestions for where I shall, what I should begin with? Any specific steps you recommend? Um, so I'm assuming that uh, you would have then already had uh, uh, either a bachelor's in, uh, was it ICT, I think, uh, or computer and electronics, and, uh, and then uh, possibly a master's if you wanted to. But uh, what I would recommend if you want to move into... Uh, embedded systems uh, with the, an engineering background is to uh, 
if you are still studying to try and um, push your thesis towards that direction, because then you uh, do spend a, a good chunk of your time. If it's a bachelor program, 10 weeks of your time, and then a master's, uh, 20 weeks of your time, uh, completely immersed in this one area, trying to uh, solve uh, or answer research question. Uh, if uh, it is, uh, or if you are at the stage where uh, you have already finished your, your studies and you're working in, say, uh, IT programming and you want to move into embedded systems, then I would look into maybe um, transitioning towards uh, embedded software uh, and not moving into complete hardware programs or hardware uh, companies. But I'm guessing this question is from, from a student that uh, is thinking of uh, embedded systems. And then I would recommend to... Um, take most adva advantage of your, your thesis project and get your uh, thesis uh, in, in uh, an embedded systems topic or an embedded topic. Uh, and uh, yeah, focus most of your energy there. Uh, also pick uh, electives. Uh, electives are courses that are not uh, core courses within the program. So it's not chosen for you by the, the university, but you get a chance to pick a course that you wanna study. Uh, so in that case, then I would uh, recommend you pick courses that sort of aid your, your application or help you understand more or about embedded systems in a more detailed sense. So those, those are the, the general steps I would recommend. Uh, another thing I would recommend is, because uh, this is something I do as well, is to uh, just talk to people from the industry. Uh, so there is uh, a, um, an app called LinkedIn or a website called LinkedIn. Uh, and what you can do is just go go in there and uh, look for people that either work at companies that you would like to know more about, or just type in uh, embedded uh, developer if you are looking for embedded software or embedded systems and uh, click the tab people and you'll find a bunch of people that will be listed there. And then you just send them a message and ask them, oh, can, can we chat or have a, a fika and get to know a bit more about uh, what it is like uh, that you do on a day-to-day -day basis and understand their steps so that you can then also uh, use their sort of experience to help you define your steps a bit more. I guess you could do that if you knew you wanted a career in tech as well, but you weren't yeah. sure exactly what area. <laughs> yeah, go on LinkedIn, exactly. talk a few people <laughs> and meet up for Pika, <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> okay, in the role of Scrum Master and Product Owner, are you simultaneously communicating with many teams? And number two, in your specific case, how do you handle conflicts within teams if they arise? Uh, okay, so I'm going to tie in the second question with the Scrum Master uh, part because that's not really something a product owner uh, does or should do. Uh, so what a Scrum Master uh, essentially is, is um, we, as I said, we work in cross-functional teams. So we have teams of of nine people, one of those persons works 50% uh, as a developer and 50% of their time as a scrum master. Uh, a scrum master's duty or, or job is mainly to um, facilitate the different scrum ceremonies, which are uh, the daily standups where you meet every morning and sort of go through your progress of the task you've done the day before. Uh, what is your plan today for the task and what it, are the, the impediments or what is what is blocking you from, from completing your task. Uh, they also do um, uh, backlog refinements, which is essentially a meeting where you go through this one chunk of uh, items the product owner gives you and prioritizes for you. And then you break it down into how you as a team want to deliver the, these codes. So you break it down into steps. And that's what the Scrum Master does together with the team. 
the Scrum Master is also responsible then for uh, handling conflicts within the team, if there are any. Uh, and uh, since I did work as a Scrum Master for a year or a year and a half or so, um, I didn't have uh, any conflict in, in my team when I was working, but I do know of a sister team that had some, some conflicts. And the best way that uh, I would recommend that one does handle conflict is to uh, always get both the people to sit face to face and discuss with each other because people often perceive things very differently from what is being said. So I, you only listen to what you want to hear. You don't listen to what is being said a lot of the time, especially when one is giving uh, you some sort of constructive feedback. It's, it's normal human tendency to take it as, um, um, as, as a sort of uh, offhand comment and get on the defense about yourself and try to defend yourself uh, rather than actually listen to feedback and work on it. So a lot of the conflicts do arise because of that. And that's why I do recommend that you get both the people to sort of sit together and, um, and, and work it out and sort of talk to each other and try and understand what each other meant to, to clear the, the air and, and sort of dissolve the conflict. Um, as a product owner, you don't really deal with, um, with any conflicts and that's because you don't work as part of a team. A product owner is, uh, is just one single person. Uh, that works um, a lot with the, with the Scrum Master because the Scrum Master usually is the, the point of contact between the product owner and the team. Uh, so I don't work with, uh, or, I, or I am not part of the team, but I work a lot with the teams in terms of uh, giving them work to do and what, what they work with. Do I communicate simultaneously with many teams? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so I also work as a... Um, product owner for an area within our quality management program where we deliver improvements. Uh, and in that case, yes, I do work with, uh, or I do communicate with multiple teams at the same time because I have a certain number of teams that work within that area that I am responsible for their work. Uh, but when it comes to otherwise standalone teams, um, I don't communicate with the teams at the same time, no. Very interesting. It sounds like your job is very different, ever changing. There's not, there's no set nine to five schedule. Would you say? I mean, some days I, I have um, really long, long hours, which go to like 10, 12 hours a day. Some days it, it's a lot less where it's like five, six. But then again, it depends on, on, uh, on your sort of, time management I wouldn't say I'm the best time manager because when I get items I want to finish it on one day because I don't want to then think about it after I close close my computer for the day and and then say oh I need to do item a b c d I, I've now started uh, using my post-its and writing stuff down here so <laughs> I don't forget and then I'm just like you know it's time I need to go I've had a really long day but I, I struggle with that a bit so yeah it's not um um, I still have a lot to imp improve when it comes to my planning and time managing my time. But yeah, it, it, every day is never the same. It's always different. Mm. Um, last question, because we've, yeah. we've gone through the audience questions now. Um, yeah. What do you see as one of like, the most exciting, actually two questions, <laughs> what do you see as one of the most exciting um, developments that are on the horizon? What are you looking forward to in terms of the technology, the tech sector? 
Um, so what I am most looking forward to, I guess I would say, is, is 5G and its impact on, on all different industries. Because I know for now, uh, the, the UN is working on a couple of uh, projects with 5G and food waste and uh, uh, water quality and sanitation, which is going to benefit so many third world countries. Uh, at the same time, there's lots of uh, applications that are in the process for 5G and healthcare, which is going to, I mean, it's going to help and transform medical care so much uh, in the future. So that that is what I am most looking forward to is, is to, because we've been working and hearing about 5G for, I mean, years now, or in, in technology years, that's a long time. We would have great hair in technology time, but, but it's been a really long time. And, and you know, it's, it's, in, it's in the works that we're gonna soon see um, a lot of uh, changes into to the whole internet of things um, area and realm. And that's what I'm most looking forward to. And you've given so much amazing advice in terms of studying career um, options and what people should do. Uh, is there any other general life advice you'd like to give teenagers that you wish you'd been given as a teenager? Um, what would I say? I don't know. I don't know what what advice I wish I had been given, but I, I would probably maybe share um, advice that I was given, uh, which is to... Uh, to yeah, have fun and um, you know, but not too much fun. Uh, <laughs> have fun in uh, have fun in, in in moderations where you don't you know have too much fun where it affects your your career and the rest of your life. But don't forget to have fun. Don't don't always be uh, you know a, a bookworm, as they they say. All fun and no work makes Jill a dull girl. So yeah. <laughs> Good advice. Perfect. Thank you so much once again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been super nice talking to you.